Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Today's going to be different. It's going to be unusual. I've never done a service like this. If you don't count the eight o'clock, I've never done a service like this and you've never been to a service like this. All right, so here's what I want to, here's why I want to warn you. I want you to make sure that your mind is engaged because in a moment we're going to ask you to engage your heart, uh, which is probably going to uh, require a physical response. And at that point, you're going to feel lost if you're not actively engaging the text, okay? So make sure that you're paying attention. In other words, make sure you're paying attention because I'm going to ask you to do something in a minute and you're going to want to know what to do, all right? So if you have your Bible, turn to Lamentations chapter three. Lamentations chapter three. I'll give you a moment to turn there because it's an unusual book to talk about. Have you ever played the flinching game? You play the flinching game. If you're a lady, I would be surprised if you have. Um, impressed if you have. If you're a dude, you probably have. It's the simple game. Play this with your boys, with friends, with, with strangers, in which you flinch at them like you're going to punch them. And if they jump, what is it? Two for flinching. You get to punch them twice. It's a ridiculous game, and there's no way to win. You just always lose, right? Two for flinching. The other day, I flinched at Amos. He about jumped out of his skin. And uh, he said, don't scare me like that. And in typical dad fashion, I said, well, how do you want me to scare you? You know, not at all. It's a game we play all the time. Play with my boys in public, uh, around the house, just when I'm bored. The game is built upon the idea of an involuntary reaction, a flinch. You can't stop yourself from flinching, usually, usually. And if you were to think about it, then you would, you would know that the jumping back doesn't uh, lessen the punch. It's not gonna hurt any less. And the jumping back doesn't usually make the other person miss. It's just something that you do. And the more that you think about the flinch, the more you realize that it's a ridiculous reaction. It's just the way that we react. Here's the hard truth. We flinch in life more than we like to admit. Something happens, something said, you get an email, a topic's brought up, and you flinch. You respond in anger or maybe in happiness. It, does, it depends on what's going on. You might say some cutting words or you might cry, you might laugh. You just respond more than we even want to admit it. If you have your Bible, like I said, turn to Lamentations chapter three. I'm gonna teach you a new word today. And maybe for some of you, it's a word that you know, but for many of you, it will not, it will be new. It's the word lament, L-A-M-E-N-T, lament. Lament is not an emotion, it's a response to emotions, particularly those emotions that deal with loss or deep loss. It's often, very often poetry. People will respond to loss with poetry, with singing, with song. Prayers in the Bible can be lamenting. This is a definition of lamenting. Lament in the Bible speaks of, hear me on this, think about it. Lament in the Bible speaks of betrayal and abandonment of disappointment with God. Injustice and enemy attacks, illness and death. 
I'd say that lamenting for the God follower, lamenting for a Christian, is the way in which we flinch to the pain of loss. It's a particular way. Lamenting is a particular way in which Christians flinch to the pain of loss. It's telling God where it hurts. And even sometimes that hurt and that pain is directed toward God. It's often done in tears and it's painful. Because of our culture and because of bad theology, we have almost completely done away with lamenting. In our culture, lamenting or expressing grief or pain is seen as a weakness. We instead would rather put on a brave face. Think about that for just a moment. We literally have a phrase in English, put on a brave face, which is only designed and said to tell other people to hide their pain. In love, we tell people to act like it doesn't hurt. And in reality, it does hurt. Bad theology would say things like to show grief or to be sad would undermine the, the, the sovereignty of God. If God's in control of all things, then why would you show grief? It might lessen the good news of Jesus' resurrection. If Jesus resurrected and death is no more and eventually we don't have to fear death, then why would you be sad if you lost your grandmother or a friend or, or your job? Why would you be sad of a loss if Jesus um, resurrected? I, I thought about this. I really struggled with the idea of Christian songs, in fact, hymns that express lamenting or grief and I struggle to think of any. In fact, country music does a better job of describing lament, of being just mad at God because of a pain that you're feeling and expressing it. We don't have that. We don't have that in Christianity, at least not as much as we should. The Bible gives us several examples of lament and in fact shows us how to lament. It not only accepts it, it models it. Psalms 22 verse one says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from the words of groaning? Listen to Hebrews 5, 7. During his earthly life, Jesus offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. This book is called Lamentations. Lamenting the entire thing is spoken from the pain of a people, from the pain of a person who lost everything. Again, it's not only accepted, it's modeled. It's a good thing for Christians, for God followers to lament, to tell God, this is what hurts. And to say, I don't understand, I don't have an answer, I can't explain it, but I am sad and I am hurting and I am in pain, God, and I don't know anything other to do than to yell it at you. In Lamentations 3, 19 and 20, this is a lament. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Depression is a big word and there's all sorts of technical definitions to it, all sorts of weighty matters to it. And there are people within this very congregation 
who understand it far better than I do. But I would offer, and I think that they would agree, that we have overthought depression to the point that it just doesn't mean anything anymore when we talk about it. This is deep, weighty sadness that can overcome you in a moment of happiness or out of nowhere. It's this feeling of weight on your soul and on your heart. You can be depressed for a long time or a short time. You can be depressed and need medicine and that's fine and good, or you can be depressed and not need medication. Some depression is helped with a hug and other times it takes a lot of hard work. You can experience both kinds. Some translations, some English translations translate that word depressed as weighted down, as bowed down underneath a weight of depression. When some of us joined the staff here at Second, uh, particularly Pastor David and I, we didn't have trucks, we had SUVs. And uh, shortly after we joined the staff, we went off and bought trucks because it just feels like a thing you're supposed to do. So we bought these trucks and then we started walking around like we were more manly now that we had a truck. And um, there were times around the office in which LaDonna or somebody would need a box moved from like this building to that building. And we would get the trucks and we would put the one box, you know, in the back of the truck. And then we would talk about our payload. We would walk around and say, I've got, I've got so much payload. If you need anything moved, I've got all this payload. And honestly, I had no idea what payload meant. I still barely know what payload means. You know, you hear it on the commercial. I looked it up and payload is the amount a truck can carry, counting the, the, the cabin, the, the passengers and the cargo. All of that together is the amount that that truck can carry. There's only a limited amount that it can carry. And as much as that big old beautiful Ford truck can carry, it still has a limit. What makes you think you don't have a limit? You have a payload. There's just only so much that you can carry. There's just only so much that you can be burdened down with and weighted down on your soul and your heart. And I know you're strong and ain't nobody saying that you're not strong. You are far stronger than anybody gave you credit for, but you have a limit. He says, I am weighted down. I bow down. And listen, have you ever heard anybody say, it's just in my head? Oh, I'm just in my head. You ever heard that? I say that sometimes. I say that when I'm depressed and somebody asks me what's wrong and I don't want to tell them that I'm sad. I'll say, oh, I don't know. I'm just in my head a lot lately. I'm just in my head. You know those feelings when you wake up in the middle of the night and it's not the thought that woke you up, but it was like the dog or the air conditioner vent turned on or something like that. And you wake up and all of a sudden your mind floods with thoughts that you can't stop. You want them to stop. In fact, you get mad that they won't stop, but it just floods in there. I continually remember, that's what the author says there in verse 20. I continually remember, I can't stop thinking about it. I wish I could stop it, but I can't stop thinking about it. I watched a video in which a guy was talking about his anxiety and his depression, and he said, it's worse at nighttime. He works through the day and he's fine. He goes to school and he's fine. But then when he goes home and he sits down and he's calm, it all just comes rushing back in there. You ever felt that? 
I know you have. No matter how strong you are, no matter how high your payload is, you have felt that. I wish I could stop it, but I can't. And even though it's in your head, it's real. We have this confusion and this mistake in our, in our mindset in which we think emotional problems and sometimes spiritual problems, they're over here, but then I have the real problems. These are the things that I can put down on a to-do list. These are the things that I can fix with money or sweat equity. These are the things that I can really fix over here. These are real problems. These things, they're not real. They're in your mind or they're in your soul. But the reality is, like Pastor David always says, your emotions are real, but they may not be reality. We try to push these things off in that direction. They are real. Look at, uh, look at what he says. He says, my afflictions and my homelessness. This is a very real problem. He's not talking about something that's not tangible. He, he isn't speaking of the way some of us feel homelessness with these two extremist political parties that we now have in the country where you might hear somebody say, I'm politically homeless. He's not talking about the homelessness that sometimes people feel in different variations of Christianity in which they feel like they didn't change, their convictions didn't change, but, but, the, but the group moved. It moved off to the direction and you feel like I'm homeless. Those very well might be in our minds, but this isn't that. He literally did not have a home. Jeremiah 52 verse 13 says that when Nebuchadnezzar came through, that he burned every home to the ground. I was thinking about this text when I was driving to the office this week. I was going down Prince and I passed uh, Don Pepe's over there. And then the tennis courts, I hit that roundabout, took a right. I was going right there by the park and then I was gonna turn left to head into downtown. And right there in that moment, for whatever reason, this concept flooded into my brain. What if all of this was destroyed? What if all of it was leveled? Jeremiah, the author of this, walks out through the smoke-filled ruins of his nation. He stumbles through what used to be his community and there is no home to go to. There's no market to shop. There's no park for the kids to play. These are all extremely real problems that caused extremely real emotions. And so he laments. He calls it wormwood, which is a poetic way of saying bitterness, this wormwood and poison, this bitter poison. All he can think of day and night, resting and working, tears on the edge of his eyes, is these very real problems and these very real emotions. Unfair as they are, he is a victim of the world as it is, and he laments. He is beat down and broken. And so he tells God about it. What? What has you like that? What sort of injustice or betrayal or abandonment or loss are you dealing with? What is causing you to flinch? And you don't have to, you don't have to be a certain age before you're really honestly sad. You could be young and your problems are just as real as anybody else's problems. You can have a thing and it's not as big as their thing, but it doesn't make your thing any less weighty. What is causing you to flinch? 
Did you lose a child? Was it stillbirth? Or a miscarriage? Did you get a call one day? When your entire world cracked, they found your sweet baby boy, now grown adult, overdosed and cold. Did your baby girl who did nothing wrong driving in her own lane and some heartless drunk cross the middle line and took her from you and from her children and from what she was doing? Did you lose a child? Did you lose a dream or a plan? A marriage just ripped apart by unfaithfulness or over time small things that grew into large things and now the marriage is dead and you don't know how to breathe. What right does that other woman have? And how dare that guy take away what was yours? What was y'all's? Did you lose a business? Something that you thought up and dreamed up and you invested in and COVID killed it? Did you lose your job? You didn't do anything wrong and yet you were laid off. Others who don't work as hard as you weren't as unlucky. You thought you might land on your feet and you did for a while, but savings is running out and it's just embarrassing. You have been the provider. You were the reason your kids had good things. And now you have to say no more than you want to. Did you lose your health? Cancer sucks. I don't know if I'm allowed to say sucks, but cancer sucks. And I am so sick of it just constantly seeping into everyone that we love. It's like a kutsu vine silently growing in the shadows where you can't see it, coming back when it should be dead, killing and tangling, turning your own body against you. They have big words for it like leukemia and melanoma and lymphoma, but it's all just evil. Did you lose a friend? Someone that you publicly supported and endorsed, but behind your back in secret meetings tore you down and put a knife in your back and acted later like it was your own fault that they said those things. None of this is fair, none of it's right, and it all breaks your heart. Deep loss, constant flinching, constant pain. Nothing you can do. If you could, you would make it all go back, rewind the clock but it's all you can think of. You wake up in the middle of the night, you drive and you drive for miles before you realize that the radio isn't even on. You're all up in your head because very real problems cause very real pain and it bows you down, it weighs you down, you sink from the pain. If God were here in front of you, you'd scream at him. You might even throw a punch You'd demand a no. You'd cry. You'd be so angry and sad and confused and hurt that you don't know what you would say or what you would do. But here's the truth. He is here. He hears and he knows and he can take a punch. So my question for you is, do you want to tell him? Do you want to lament? I've asked Rich to come out and he's just gonna start playing a song We're gonna take a few moments as a faith family to lament. I don't have any answers for you. 
I'm just gonna give you an opportunity to do what people who follow God for thousands of years have done. Just tell God, just tell him about it. So you can turn these steps here into a place where you pray. You can turn your chair into a place where you can pray. If you know of other people who are hurting, you can go pray with them. Other people who have lost things, other people who put on a brave face, but they're hurting. Just gonna give you this one song. Y'all stand and respond. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the
call you back to your seats. Because there's more to the story. The Bible is clear that God meets you where you are in our sorrow. It says that he is near to the brokenhearted. He hears what you told him. But the author of Lamentations has more words to say. Verses 21 through 24, he says, Yet I call this to my mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say this, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. Yet I call this to my mind. This isn't the answer. This isn't uh, just think happy thoughts. This doesn't make the bad go away. It's how we interact with the bad. It's the flinch that recognizes that God is there. Like I said earlier, it's like what Pastor David says, your feelings are real, but they aren't always reality. Recognizing the realness of the pain and the emotion, we take control and move our minds. We focus on something else that transcends, that is greater, not just anything, but God, on something that is beautiful and true and good. Reorienting your mind on something else something good doesn't bring your loss back and it doesn't mean that you don't still love the thing or the person that you lost. It just means that you recognize a broader story, a greater power, the pain of loss. So what does this author find? What does he, what does he reorient his mind around? Well, he realizes it's God himself. Hear this, when there isn't anything left, God is the only one that's still there. He says, he is all that I need there in verse 24, my portion. In a lament, I have loss. In lamenting, we lose. We have this loss and we bring it to God and that loss is real. And as I lament though, I am reminded that God is what I need. And as I walk in this world and all that I need in God, I won't ever lose him. He is the portion. My cup overflows. In verses 22 through 23, the writer uses these three words to describe God, his faithful love, his mercy, and his faithfulness. You could translate those three words in a, in a bunch of different ways or in a few different ways, but the ones that I would use today are his loyalty, his mercy, and his steadiness. The loyalty word is about how for all of history, God is making promises and keeping them. When he speaks of his mercy, he's giving you what you don't deserve. God gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve his love and his compassion, but he gives it to us anyways. We deserve the bad, but he is good. When he says that second faithfulness word there in verse 23, that idea is about a steadiness like a rock. You can bank on it. These three concepts describe God in two meaningful ways. The first one is his character, his loyalty, his mercy, and his steadiness. In my lament, I don't understand. I can't explain it or even justify what was lost, but I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is good. I don't understand why I have to go through this. I don't understand why I lost and other people keep. I don't understand why I struggle and the pain and the darkness, I can't see past the pain. But I know that he is good and his mercy is new every morning 
and that he is steady like a rock. I know that. I know his character. I know he is good. Not only do they speak about his character, but they also speak about his, his timelessness. When he's been loyal in the past, he always made a promise and he always kept that promise. He's merciful now. Every morning, even this morning, you were given a new dose of mercy. And he will be steady in the future. And that's what I need when I'm lamenting. I need to know that I can keep walking and he's going to be with me. In other words, what the lamenter comes to realize, what he takes his mind off of the thing that is so hard and painful and true and real, and he moves it to the reality that God is all I need. He is good and he is with me. Those are the thoughts that he keeps thinking. And this drives him to one conclusion, hope. Verse 21 says, and I have this hope. Verse 24 ends with, and I will put my hope in him. All of this ends with the reality of hope. And hope is what I'm after. I hope it will get better. And I know that it will. I hope that it will stop hurting. And I know that it will. I hope that it will all work out. And I know that it will. Why? Because God is what I need. He is good and he is with me. That's why it doesn't just say I have this hope. It says, I put my hope in him because hope is a person. Hope is God. So hear me, friend, family. Your pain is real and God is good. And that's what you have to hold on to. That's what you have to lament. When I was a kid, my parents had a station wagon one of those station wagons where the back seats face the rear. We don't make them anymore because they're terribly dangerous. You get rear-ended and there goes your precious cargo. But they were cool. Cool in a station wagon sort of way. They worked out for my family pretty well because there were five of us kids, three across that bench seat and two in the back. And we fought over those back two seats. We really did. Because what's better than stopping at a stoplight and staring at the person behind you? picking your nose or something, just trying to get a reaction. One day we're driving, mama was driving down Dito Road in Gulfport, Mississippi. And this guy was behind us, a motorcyclist. And as he was riding behind us, he had his kickstand down. And uh, at first he didn't notice it, but then it started to spark. And so as he's riding, there's these sparks shooting out the the roadside right there. It's not, I guess it's not that big of a deal, but it's definitely distracting. And you could see his helmet go off to the side, off to the side. And my mom's driving and he keeps riding. At one point you could tell that he's trying to like fix it with his foot there. Very real problem, needed to be fixed. But he thought, I'll just keep going. I don't know what he thought, I'm just assuming. Because I watched this whole thing happen. He thought, I'll just keep riding, I'll fix it on my own. But because of the distraction of the very real problem, and because he just kept going, eventually he veered to the side as he was looking down, ran into a culvert that was about the depth of his bike, hit that culvert, it stopped the bike, and he flew up into the air, and his lifeless body slammed into the ground. And I watched all of this. And my mom watched it in the rearview mirror. 
My mom currently is a nurse, but she didn't do that until I was grown, getting her, her nursing degrees and stuff like that. But she always thought she was a nurse. She always thought she was a first responder. She slammed that station wagon in a park in the middle of the road, ran over there and saved this man's life, you know. I think a lot of us are like the motorcyclists. You have a very real issue. Not necessarily a problem. It's not a problem. You're not a problem. You're not broken. You're not messed up. But there's this real thing in your life and you need to stop and fix it. But we just keep thinking, we'll just keep going. It'll fix on its own or we'll fix it while we're going. But it ends up getting you in a lot more pain. So let me encourage you to reconsider lament, to use it, to start in that place. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.